Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, given that Winnipeg is on a break until tomorrow evening when they visit the Ottawa Senators, I thought it would be fun to cover some of this year's top young rookies and some of the hottest trade deadline prospects available to be shipped out to your neighborhood playoff contender. Is that the Jets you're hearing in the background kind of mulling over some options? Maybe, maybe not. I think that the Jets are probably not going to be shopping all that much. We got Dylan DeMello. That was the big one. I find it hilarious that of all of the defensemen traded at the deadline thus far, Winnipeg arguably got the best one of the entire lot for half the price of what everyone else paid for lesser players. Not bad, Winnipeg. Not bad. But on the trade board, there are still a lot of chips to be moved. So we'll take a look at some of those top ones first uh, later in the show. For now, though, let's take a look at some of this year's crop of NHL rookies who are lighting things up. And we're going to start with the Vancouver Canucks and Quinn Hughes. Quinn is the slightly older brother of Jack Hughes. Now, Quinn plays a totally different position. He's a defenseman. And if you've ever watched him skate or do literally anything involving hockey, Quinn is one of the most breathtaking young defensemen I've ever seen. We saw it in his time with some of the U.S. squads and when he was uh, at University of Michigan. This kid is just amazingly gifted. When he was part of that under-18 national dev team, I mean, Quinn was just a video game player. He's got incredible lateral skating and the way that he can kind of open up really quickly and basically just glide around while still accelerating almost effortlessly is truly amazing to watch. I think that Quinn is honestly one of the best defensive prospects we've seen in a couple of years. More impressively, I think Quinn really has a mature game, so he's really an all-situations player that you can rely on for almost anything. He can defend pretty well, he's got great positioning, he's a great passer, he knows how to handle puck pressure well, and when he gets into the offensive zone, really good things happen. He's got uh, astoundingly good passing. He can attack the offensive zone like Makar can, although he's a, he's a much smaller guy. He still has that really predatory shot, great stick handling, great passing. He's just a really well-balanced all-around threat. He could easily win the Calder, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not going to. I think Kale Makar will, and Makar is kind of an interesting player. Kale is classified by, uh, I guess, his position as a defenseman, but I really don't feel like he plays like a defender at all. I think that his defensive work tends to be kind of lacking because he's always looking for that next jump. He's always looking to go forward and really attack the offensive zone, and sometimes I get the sense that he cheats a bit, and that's fine. I mean, a lot of guys do that these days. They kind of cheat to uh, press the offensive advantage and counter because Colorado plays a very fast, very aggressive countering system. In an environment like the Avs, I feel like Makar's skill set, which combines really explosive dynamic skating with unbelievable stick handling and vision, just makes him one of the best all-around threats from the back end you'll find. I guess you could kind of say like he's like a, a really pimped-out version of Tyson Berry, I think would be a, a decent comparison, but sometimes he also reminds me a little bit of Nathan McKinnon. Obviously, these two players are very different, and I feel like comparing him to McKinnon is a little bit unfair. But in the way that he thinks about attacking a defender's one-on-one -on -one and engaging, especially when he's trying to match up and break somebody, 
I feel like he and McKinnon actually have a few similarities. They both have a really great explosive edge that they can use to quickly get the jump on somebody, and they have a very deep pocket full of different tricks and things that they can pull out all at a moment's notice and on a really quick decision and basically embarrass somebody and undress them very quickly. Makar is remarkably dynamic, and I feel like if you're going to pick somebody as your calder, you could do a lot worse than, than Kale. Obviously, his game is very raw, and he still has some work to do on the defensive zone, but I feel like his offensive contributions are just incredible. It's hard to really bet against Colorado's top-pairing defenseman. Yeah, he's obviously still got some work to do on learning how to position himself and shut down uh, passing and shooting lanes, but there's not much else to really dislike about his game. He's just a ton of fun to watch, and sometimes that's all you really need. It probably doesn't hurt that he's sitting on 43 points for the season, which is pretty good. Pretty good among rookies, especially for young defensemen. Now, I think of the young defensemen who are rookies, there's one name that I really feel deserves a lot more praise than he's gotten. That name is Adam Fox, and Adam Fox to me is arguably one of the best all-around defensemen of this young rookie crop. He's, I believe, the oldest of all of them. I think he's like 22. And he does play fewer minutes than some of the other guys, but Fox just has a, a preternatural instinct in both ends of the ice. I feel like Adam is just one of the most versatile two-way defensemen in the NHL, and seeing his on-ice results and how he plays, especially behind the nuclear tire fire that is the um, the New York Rangers blue line, honestly, I, I kind of want him to win the Calder. I know that he's not really going to, to pull that off this season, and, you know, it's kind of a shame, but I feel like Adam Fox has the most mature game. He is older, yes, but I feel like the way that he thinks about space and the way that he positions himself shields the puck and is able to make, you know, nice zone transitions and stuff. Again, considering all of the players around him, I mean, Fox is a truly exceptional talent, and he's very clearly one of New York's best defensemen of, like, the last five or so years. He's going to be in the conversation of guys like McDonough, I think, down the road. Obviously, New York is not really known for elite high-end defenders as of late, but, of course, McDonough in his prime was really, really good. Fox has that potential to be a really dominating, suffocating blue liner with a, a really amazing offensive tool set. I got to watch him once when he was at Harvard playing against the uh, the U.S. men's national under-18 team, which was bar none one of the best U18 teams I've ever seen. And yet, I believe Fox had two goals and almost neared a hat trick against this squad that was basically stifling the rest of Harvard's offense. Fox is that good. He's a truly exceptional talent, and I think that the way that he approaches the professional level of hockey is truly outstanding. Makar, Hughes, and Fox are all three front runners for the uh, the Calder Trophy, and I really don't feel like there's anyone else that's close enough. I think that those three, considering that the teams that they're on and the sort of impact that they have on their teams, I'm just not really feeling like there's an argument for somebody else to take over the Calder Trophy this year. I, I guess you could argue for Dominic Kubalik, but Kubalik is 24. He's not really a dominating attacker. And I feel like, given the contributions of the aforementioned three players listed before Kubalik, you know, you have a really tough time arguing against anyone of Hughes, Makar, or Fox, as you're called a frontrunners. The amount of uh, offensive support and defensive stability that those three provide, or in this case of someone like Makar, just pure offensive attacking prowess, I think you can't really overstate those, those impacts. All three are incredibly gifted, and sure, Kubalik is very good, and there's no doubting that, but I think the other three just have that much more of an edge on the rest of the competition. While Fox, Makar, and uh, Hughes may be dominating the rookie conversation as far as uh, the Calder Trophy is concerned, there are a few other rookies who I think really should get a little bit of a look, and one of them is Sergei Samsonov. Hopefully I pronounced that right. 
Samsonov is somebody I've gotten to see a bit with the Washington Capitals because he's a he's a local kid, not local in the sense that he's from around the D.C. area, but local in the sense that I live near the Washington Capitals, so I get all of the broadcasts and stuff. Samsonov is a very good, good goalie. He's arguably one of the reasons the Caps have um, as, as decent a record this year as they have, especially with Braden Holpe struggling a lot until recently. Samsonov is obviously Washington's future in net because Braden's going to be looking for a big contract extension, and at his age, it's just far too risky to extend somebody like that. It's a good thing that Samsonov has been really great for the Caps thus far. He's one of the top goaltending rookies in the NHL, and he's been a tremendous part of why Washington's record has stayed afloat. Goalies are definitely voodoo for sure, but I feel like Samsonov's got a really good uh, head on his shoulders. I feel like his reads are very timely. He seems to anticipate shooters pretty well. His tracking is good. His lateral cross-seam movement is great. Um, he knows how to challenge his angles very well. There's just a lot to like about his game overall. And when you need that superhuman magical save, every now and then Samsonov has had those moments throughout his career. He's not played a whole lot yet, but if his Russia numbers are anything to go by, I think the Caps are in for something special with uh, Ilya's future. Correction, I just realized I called him Sergei Samsonov for some reason. It's Ilya Samsonov. It's been a long week, you'll have to forgive me. I'm still recovering after uh, shredding my knee at a mosh pit in a concert, so it's been a, a little bit of a loopy past couple of days. Ilya Samsonov, though, I think is uh, definitely not a loopy prospect. I think that he's somebody who, for Washington, is going to be a rock in net. Given how bad the Caps' defense is, the amount of goals he's saved above your average netminder has been tremendous, especially when considering how many um, expected goals and high-quality chances the Caps' defensive have started surrendering out over the past couple of months. With uh, Braden's rough stretch kind of over, I really don't know how the Caps would have done if Braden had basically man net for that entire stretch where he uh, was kind of floundering a bit. With Samsonov, though, the Caps have maintained a really good record over the past couple of weeks and, generally speaking, are, are definitely not in any danger of, of losing their first place seed in the Metro Division. So, all in all, Samsonov, really good, really good performance. Definitely worthy of at least a Calder nomination here and there. I'll also probably say that there are a few guys who I think are going to get some nods, but again, probably won't deserve the Calder, especially over the other players. Um, of course, I've talked about Dominic Kubalik, but Victor Olofsson also kind of falls under this category. Olofsson is pretty good for the Sabres, and from what I've heard, he's been a, a pretty nice scoring wing. He's amassed 40 points on the year on a team that just does not really seem capable of being competent for more than a couple of games at a time, if that. If you haven't heard the epic Dwayne rant about the Sabres' ownership and the absolute ineptitude of this franchise over the past couple of seasons, you really owe it to yourself to look up Dwayne Buffalo Sabres on Google. The guy basically has like a, a meltdown on, on live air, which was really interesting to listen to because I feel like there are probably more than a few Jets fans who have felt that way about Winnipeg in recent times, although no one, and I mean no one, has suffered as much as Buffalo fans have. They lost to Ottawa the other night, and you could see the GM like throwing his paper down on the ground and just sort of giving up, and I feel like that's where the Sabres are at. They're just kind of giving up. Olafson's been kind of a, a rare bright spot, but you know he's 24 years old, and he's probably in his prime at this point, so I don't know that I can really call him like a regular Calder rookie. That's kind of harsh to say and maybe unfair, but you know, compared to your peers who are much younger than you putting up similar points values from a position of deeper ice area, let's just say, from the back line, the odds are already going to be stacked against you because Calder voters always love points. And if you're not actually leading the pack, especially from uh, as a winger on a team that obviously does have some offensive talent, 
but you're still getting beat out by a guy like Kale McCarr, that trophy is going to look a little bit more distant. The other guys who are not even in the conversation include Capo Caco and Jack Hughes. Now, alright, I think people need to understand something about Jack Hughes and Capo Caco, and I think the first thing to say is that neither of these guys are busts. I think that we've been really spoiled by the past couple of seasons where the number one and two overall picks had an immediate NHL impact. Right now, we kind of have like a golden age of NHL talent, and it's been headlined, of course, by Connor McDavid and, and guys like Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine. We understand why a lot of people would feel that Capococco and, and Hughes not really performing up to standard would be an issue. For one thing, I think Hughes is just in a position where, for a long time, he really wasn't being played with skilled line mates who can do a whole lot for him. No offense to guys like Wayne Simmons and Pavel Zaka, but neither of those players is all that great. And those are the kinds of players that Hughes was playing with on the regular, a lot of guys who are more like third-line or fourth-line grinders. Of the bit I've seen of Hughes, I always felt like when he was playing with wingers like that, he was always really doing dynamic skating and, and zone possession, and trying to create space while his linemates really weren't helping him at all. In Hughes's case, I feel like his breakout will be coming soon, and he's had an okay rookie season, it's not terrible, it's just not the kind of dominance that you would think that a lot of guys um, getting drafted first or second overall might display. Kako has definitely had a really, really rough season in comparison, and he's been playing like one of the worst forwards in the NHL until the past couple of weeks. I think it's kind of important to remember that the Rangers are a pretty bad team, and I feel like Dan Quinn until recently didn't have that squad's lineup figured out. I mean, they, they used to concede tons of scoring opportunities, and Kako is not really capable of carrying a line right now. The immense scoring potential that he displayed while he was in Liga hasn't really translated to the NHL yet, but he's starting to find a little bit more of his footing, and his on-ice results are slowly improving. He's still not great right now, and he still has a lot of work to do. But I feel like they just need to give this Finnish kid time. I think it's easy to write kids off without realizing the context of coming to the U.S., playing on North American ice and adjusting on a team that's really more or less in rebuild. The number of young prospects who can do that on a consistent basis I think is a lot smaller and a much you know, more narrow pool than people realize. Kako is certainly going to be talked about as, as to whether or not he was overdrafted, but right now I don't think that's the case. Just give him more time to acclimate to the NHL level and find some more competent line mates, and I think Kako will, will be fine down the road. Closing us out tonight, we're going to be taking a look at a couple of uh, trade deadline targets for most of the other teams that are not named the Winnipeg Jets, as well as one fun viewer question that I just received on Twitter. Thank you to Chris from Twitter. I will be answering your question in due time. But first, let's talk about the trade deadline leading up to the playoffs. So I think of the names on the board, probably the biggest one is going to be Chris Kreider. Kreider is, I believe, an expiring asset, and right now it doesn't seem like the Rangers are are all that enthused to re-up him. As much as they love having Kreider around and as much as he is basically New York's heart and soul, he's also towards the end of his prime, and most certainly he's going to be asking for a lot more than you should pay. He's an aging winger for a team that frankly needs to get younger and get talented a lot faster, so... Kreider at the trade deadline could easily get a first-round pick, a prospect, and maybe another second or third rounder as part of a whole package. Chris is definitely getting up there in years, but he's still very productive, and he plays a kind of game that sort of is like Blake Wheeler, but a lot edgier and more aggressive. His net driving presence, his speed, and his ability to muscle defenders off the puck makes him a really ideal power forward. Now, whether or not you should really pay for all of that, considering you know where most teams are in this playoff picture, 
that part is a little more debatable. I have heard that people are talking about him going to the Islanders, and that would honestly be the funniest timeline to me, especially if they extended him. If Kreider goes to the Islanders, just all bets are off. That'd be the funniest outcome possible. I'm going to guess that that probably doesn't happen, but the NHL is a weird place and stranger things have occurred before, so we won't write it off. What I could see happening, though, is the Islanders pursuing a guy like Jean-Cabriel Pajot, and Pajot is kind of an interesting player because I've had debates about what his upside is. I think he's a top six second-line center. A lot of people are like, oh, not on a cup contender, but I feel like Pajot's skill sets are kind of underrated. He's one of these rare talents that can basically play at all situations and be fairly productive. He's good on the PK, he's very good on the power play, he's got great speed, great hands, very good vision. He's just a really all-around dynamic workhorse, but he has actual skills, um, passing, distribution, and really fast speed to, to marry all of these elements into a really serviceable middle six player who's kind of on the elite spectrum as far as those guys are. There's just not many players like Pajot available on the market, especially those who are as consistently productive as he's been in, in the past couple of weeks. He is running a pretty inflated shooting percentage this season, but I also don't think that his points total, total is completely ridiculous for what he does. I think that given more ice time, you would expect to see him be like a 50-point forward this season. Maybe 60 is pushing it, but I feel like Pajot is talented enough to hit those numbers if he gets extended somewhere, which it sounds like Ottawa was thinking about re-signing him. I'm not sure that that's the best decision. I think that they should trade him and then bring him back in free agency if they want to do that. But it's the Sens. You never really can tell with that team. They do all sorts of weird stuff, and I wouldn't put it past them to do something crazy. Speaking of doing something crazy, I think the last name that could be trade bait but probably isn't would be Jacob Markstrom. That's because Markstrom really needs a big contract extension, and while he's put up pretty good numbers from the Canucks, he is at this point looking for like a last home run contract, and he's going to be looking for like six mil a year for probably four or five seasons. And if you're Vancouver, I really don't know if you want to do that. He's 30 now, and you've got Demko in the pipes, but beyond that, I think your biggest question is who replaces uh, the backup role in this situation. I guess DiPietro could be, but I don't know if he's really ready for, say, NHL shooting and, and talent. Uh, so Markstrom is kind of in an uncomfortable position of needing a big raise, but also not really being worth the deal if you're if you're looking for the future. And I feel like if Vancouver were to trade Markstrom... That basically puts them out of playoff contention, which is maybe for the best. But by the same token, they've already come this far. I really don't know how you sell that to the fans or to Markstrom or to the team. If you, you if you trade him, it's gonna be it's gonna be a bad look. But I also don't know how you extend him. And now that the Canucks have traded for Tyler Toffoli, I feel like they're basically saying, yeah, we're just gonna ride what we have. And at that point, I feel like they are gonna be more likely to resign uh, Markstrom than than let him go. But I just don't know where they're going to get the cap space for all of this. They have so much money tied in bad contracts like Erickson, Antoine Roussel, and and Jay Beagle. I'm just thinking you have to dump salary somewhere in order to get a, a Markstrom deal in place. Other than that, I mean, I don't really know what exactly Vancouver's game plan is because they've kind of rushed a playoff appearance and the rest of the team just doesn't really seem deep enough for it. With Besser maybe out for the rest of the season, again, I just don't really know what the whole strategy is there. It doesn't seem like there is one. On a related note of playoffs, I got a question from Chris on Twitter, as I mentioned earlier, about how many points would it take for the Jets to make the playoffs. He asked if 91 would do it, and Micah Blake McCurdy would probably agree with that. It looks like right now the playoff line's going to be sitting at around 90 points for the Western Central Division. 
it's kind of tough because Nashville is the team that Winnipeg is most directly competing with, and they have a couple of games in hand on the Jets. Winnipeg is currently above them, I believe, with two points, but Nashville has like two or three games that they could easily catch that distance and, and close the gap and take the lead again. And so I'm not really sure if Winnipeg can do that. I feel like for a comfortable margin, Winnipeg would need a 95-point total. Even then, that's going to be cutting it pretty close, I would say. But 94 to 95 points, I would feel, gets the Jets at least close enough to the dance. Unless Nashville goes in like an insanely hot streak, but I don't know that the the Preds are really going to do that. 91 points might be cutting it a little too close, and Nashville might outscore us a bit in that respect. So let's just conservatively say 94 to 95 is probably enough. Either way, it'll be what it is, because the Jets are probably what they are at this point, and I don't know that anything that the Jets are going to do at the deadline is going to change it beyond, you know, acquiring DeMello and maybe one other depth forward or something. I think that the Jets are pretty much set, so we're just going to have to ride the wave and see what happens. As always, guys, thanks again for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.